0: All right. Welcome back to True Crime Trine, a podcast where the planets align and three friends chat about true crime, astrology, and any other weird bullshit they could fit into this podcast. We are your hosts, Hannah, Sarah, and Meredith. And I've been gone for two weeks and I have no idea what episode this is. We are on episode 51. Five. 55. Woo. I wish I had like one
1: of those little, not kazoo things, What are the party.
0: Meow. The like ham horn?
1: <laughs> no, they're like the little roll up things. Oh. Where you like blow on them and they oh, go. yeah. <laughs> I don't know what those are called, but yeah. A party kazoo, party,
0: I don't know. Noisemaker. I prefer the ham horn. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't have the app, so we'll just have to keep going. Okay. Yeah, so this is episode 55, and it is also our happy first birthday. Oh, wow, Yay. 420. I'll remember this anniversary. Well, the episode <laughs> airs on 5-2, and technically our birthday oh, yeah. is on May 3rd. Okay, yeah. Happy You're birthday. Right. Yay! Yes. Yay! have a little bit of housekeeping all right so we did get a rating on apple podcast <gasps> from a listener nikki king 22 she's from the fresno area she said hanford is that familiar oh that's where my grandma was from okay so she wants to hear the marcus wesson story which i believe is on your list it is on my list of fresno <laughs> murders for sure okay and my high school english teacher's husband oh, murdered. Yeah, yeah. It crosses Ooh. it crosses the boundaries. Yeah. Yeah, I should do that really soon then. It's gross. Just as a heads up, <laughs> but uh I was planning to do it anyway, so maybe um probably not this next time. I'm still got nothing in me, but maybe one of my next 3 episodes I'll do it. Okay. All right. But thank you Nikki for listening. We appreciate oh, yeah. it. And for giving a review. A yeah. Rating, and a review. Double wham. So, yeah. And then we got a message from the lovely librarian. Aw. She sent us a news article. So, the week before last, in episode 53, Sarah told us about the happy face killer, Keith Jesperson. Uh-huh. And one of his unidentified victims has finally been identified. <gasps> Yeah. Like, recently, recently? Like, just recently within the last two weeks. Oh my god, it's so exciting. And so, according to the article that the librarian sent over, California detectives have identified an Oregon woman as one of the victims of the Happy Face Killer. It's been almost... 29 years I think since her body was found yeah and so the Santa Clara County Sheriff's Office announced that Patricia Skypey was the person who was found dead on the side of the road in unincorporated Gilroy California oh my gosh I was, okay that's amazing mm-hmm Wow and she was identified last week with the help of the DNA doe project oh, nice oh. And so Patricia Skype was a mother and a longtime resident of Colton, Oregon, and she would have been about 45 years old when she was killed. But oh. we really appreciate the librarian keeping us up to date on stuff. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. And yes, give, thank you. Give the puglets a little
1: oh, treat yeah. for us,
0: too. So let's get into this. The story that I have for you is very interesting, but sadly, just like last week, these two murders are still unsolved. We are headed to the Houston area of Texas in October of 2000, and the methods in these murders were different, but there were too many similarities for it just to be a coincidence. The most striking, of course, is the fact that both the victims had the same name. Oh, like, like mm, first, first and last.
1: Uh-huh. Oh, my wow. God. It's like a, a double whammy. Like,
0: we're just going to make sure. <laughs> I just really hate this one particular name. I'm going to wipe all of them off the earth. Oh, there's some theories that go that way. But this is the story of the Mary Morris murders. So we are going to start on October 12th of 2000 with Mary Lou Henderson Morris. She's 48. She lived with her husband of five years, Jay Morris, just outside of Houston in Bayview, Texas. She worked in Houston as a loan officer for Chase Bank. On the morning of Thursday, October 12th, 2000, around 6 a.m., Mary left her home to make the 30-minute drive to work. Supposedly, Mary had told her husband that she was going to stop at this local gas station to get some gas or some coffee or something like that prior to making the drive into downtown. Typically, Jay and Mary would speak by phone a couple of times a day. That's a lot. Yeah. Stop calling me. Send me a text. (laughs) I'm at work. On this day, though, Jay would not hear from Mary. So he was starting to grow concerned and Jay called the bank. Some reports say this was around 2 p.m. Others report that it was closer to 5. Either way, somewhere in there. And Jay learns from Mary's supervisor that she had not shown up for work that day. Hmm. Yikes. This was very unlike Mary as she was a very reliable person. If she was not going to go into work, she would have called. She would have told them she was out sick or whatever. So now Jay is extremely worried because Mary had left the house at 6 a.m. So she had not been seen in like 8 to 12 hours here. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he contacted Mary's daughter, Marilyn Blaylock, and she's an adult child, or no, no how do you say that? She's an
1: adult child. She's an adult
0: child. Aren't we all? I know, right? I feel more childish than adult most of the time. <laughs> so Marilyn was, was a grown-up, but, you know, she's still... Mary's daughter, but so he contacted Marilyn and then he also contacted the police. So we're going to backtrack a few hours at approximately 10.20 a.m. Someone called the local fire department to report what they believe to be a debris burn in a secluded area oh. that happened to be about three miles east of the Morris' home. Mm. Interestingly, the fire department did not investigate. <sighs> And I'm not sure why. Great job, guys. I'm not sure what kind of protocols that they have, but I know for us, like, you know, we send people out to do smoke checks. Especially now in 2022 and everything's... Burning to the ground. Burning to the ground. But Texas sounds like it was always burning to the ground. Could be. Maybe politically, but not technically, but... (laughs) And the weather on October 12th was almost 80 degrees. So I feel like someone should have checked on this debris burn. Yeah. So around the same time that Jay had notified the police about Mary, a call came in from a young man who had been out riding his ATV in the same area that the smoke had been reported earlier. He came across a smoldering Chevy Lumina with what appeared to be human remains inside. oh, A whole that... car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems like that's the not debris. department should have come. Yeah, right. That's us. So, police and fire personnel were dispatched to the scene, and they did confirm the presence of human remains in the driver's seat. Like, ten oh. hours too late. Thank you. Mm-hmm. The car appeared to have been doused in gasoline and then set on fire. A friend of the Morrises had contacted Jay to let him know about this car and jay picked up his stepdaughter right away and they drove out to the site but police had already had the area taped off and they would not allow jay or marilyn access to the scene not to like look at the car or anything they were told just to go home and that police would contact them later if it was applicable to them god how could you just go home like after that yeah no Frustrated, obviously, they went back to Jay and Mary's house, and within a few hours, the police were knocking at their door to tell them that the vehicle belonged to Mary. Mm -hmm. Due to the condition of the body, it would take several more days before the medical examiner's office was able to confirm that the remains were, in fact, Mary and they ended up having to use dental records in order to identify her remains because they were so badly burnt in the fire. The medical examiner could not determine the cause of death, but the manner clearly pointed towards homicide. Yeah. Yeah, about that. Yeah. However, detectives were at a loss. This tragic crime seemed to have no motive. As the investigators went through potential theories, they ruled out carjacking, right? Yeah. Well, she was still in the car. Yeah. <laughs> right. They ruled out robbery, but Mary's wedding band and her purse were not on the scene, but other jewelry was, other personal effects were. So they kind of ruled out the robbery theory. If you're just going to rob somebody, you don't typically then drive them to a secluded spot and then set the whole thing on fire. You would just, like, rob them and go.
1: Yeah, this is more personal then, right? That's
0: a big escalation. I have been watching a lot of Criminal Minds. (laughs) So this is a robber turning into a serial killer. Yeah. Right. So the investigators started to look into Mary's personal life. Obviously, they looked into Jay Morris, her current husband, but they also looked into Mary's ex-husband, Marilyn's dad. However, neither man raised any sort of suspicion to make them a suspect. And the truth of the matter is that Mary didn't have any enemies. Yeah, she's a normal middle-aged woman living her life. Mm-hmm. In the suburbs. Burbs. In <laughs> the burbs. Burbs. Detective Robert Torney noted, quote, she has no apparent enemies, no drugs, no affairs. It has been hard to track down even potential suspects, just short of some mysterious person that abducted her, end quote. Do you think if the police had to do an investigation on any of us, would they come up with an enemy list for you? Ooh, that's such a good question. Yes. ha! <laughs> I'm sure there's someone out there that hates me. (laughs) I don't know if they'd hate me enough to kill me, but I've rubbed some people the wrong way. But, you know, I am a Gemini. Some of my students get really wrapped up on their grades. I could see them setting me on fire. Oh, no.
1: Whoa. That's terrifying.
0: No, they're just like such assholes. And I would, yeah, that's true. You ruined my chance to get into med school, or it's something like, well, like maybe that. you
1: shouldn't have been a doctor if you got an F in this easy ass class. Yeah, maybe yeah. you should have
0: been a dumbass, and that's why I would be satisfied because I <laughs> <laughs> just antagonize them. So Mary was described as well liked and hardworking. Neither Mary nor Jay were involved in any sort of criminal activities. They were upstanding members in their community, and ultimately the investigators were baffled. Yeah, seems difficult to solve. And no fingerprints because everything was on burns. Yep. Mm -hmm. Everything's charred. Everything's destroyed, basically. Things were about to go from bizarre to just plain weird. Mary Lou Henderson Morris was laid to rest on October 16th of 2000. Afterwards, her daughter, Marilyn, went to the medical examiner's office in order to collect the remaining personal effects that they were still holding. A staff member told Marilyn that they still had Mary Morris's body. Excuse me? What? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Excuse me? Yeah. Who's in the grave then, sir? According to Marilyn, quote, I was freaking out. I was thinking we just had the funeral. I saw the remains, and I was looking at something that wasn't even my mother, end quote. I'm also freaking out, Marilyn. Wow. What the fuck? Can you imagine the absolute utter shock of this? No, that's traumatic. Was it closed casket? Probably. Well, she was burnt to, like, a crisp. So was there anything in the coffin at all? I don't know if she was cremated or if she was buried. Well, her body was at the ME, so neither- or it's the other one. So the remains, and and this is, I think, the most horrible part for me is that they actually took her back. So she's looking at this additional set of remains. God damn. And they're not her mom. They're just another set of burnt female remains. Jesus. Not necessarily burnt. Okay. Oh, so recognizable. And she's like, nope, that's not her. Uh huh. But still, she has to like look at somebody else's body. And oh. It just. Right, looking at one body would be But then at least she got enough. like the
1: the confirmation like okay cool then the one that we did just bury was my mom.
0: Exactly. But yeah. somewhere the paperwork has got it very messed up. Yeah. So the remains that Marilyn was looking at turned out to be those of Mary McGinnis Morris. Whoa. Okay, I see why the paperwork <laughs> got confused. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mary McGinnis Morris was 39, and just four days after the tragic death of Mary Lou Henderson Morris, on Sunday, October 16th of 2000, Mary McGinnis Morris would suffer a similarly tragic fate. Hmm. So... Mary McGinnis was 39, so she's nine years younger than Mary Lou, and some articles say that the two women bore a a striking resemblance to each other. I will respectfully disagree with this. I think that they had short brown hair, or like a shorter styled brown hair, but I wouldn't mistake one for the other. Okay. I think their features were, were pretty different from each other, but... A lot of the articles will say that they were very similar looking, and I just, I don't think so. You disagree. We'll post the picture, and then you can decide for yourself. But Mary McGinnis also lived just outside of Houston. She had been married to her husband, Mike, for 17 years, and they had a, I think it was like preteen teenage daughter. They never really gave her actual age, but she is a minor. Mm -hmm. Mary was described by her sister, Stephanie Lore as, quote, Mary was an angel. She was joyful, always happy, making people laugh. Not enough words to describe her. I mean, she was just really loved by everyone, end quote. Hmm. Time out. The thing we should have done for our birthday is written all of our obituaries. <gasps> and so, and I don't think it, any one of ours would say that we're a joyous person loved by any everyone. <laughs> what? I'm not? Not everyone. Definitely not everyone. okay Acquired taste. <laughs> I think my obituary would be similar to my profile statement on our website. <laughs> You're obituary. Op- obituary.
1: Ooh, I like that.
0: I just every time I hear like, oh, the the victim was so nice. And they probably were. But I'm just like, not everyone <laughs> is nice. No,
1: it's okay for that to be. Yeah. It's
0: okay to be have some edges. Be a little sharp. I don't know. I'll think about mine now. <laughs> we'll do a special episode. It'll be great. Sounds good. So Mary McGinnis worked as a nurse practitioner and was a charge nurse for several clinics. Mary was dedicated. She was hardworking. She excelled at her job, and she had great relationships with her staff, with the exception of one nurse, but we're going to talk about that next. It was not uncommon for Mary to work like 14 hour shifts or fill in on the weekends or night shifts for another staff member. She was always willing to pitch in and always willing to help out with whatever anyone needed. I am the opposite of Mary right now because nine to five and don't bother me on the weekends. (laughs) Right. Right. The only person that Mary had issues with in her professional life was another nurse named Dwayne Young. And Dwayne was one of the newer members on Mary's staff. Mary found him to be quite unsettling. Dun, dun, dun. Just the characteristic you want in a nurse. Unsettling. Unsettling.
1: <laughs> right. Dwayne, you're scaring the patients. <laughs> We're going to put you on night shift.
0: be a little bit, so... <laughs> Dwayne did not fit in with any of the other staff either, so it wasn't just Mary. It was just him, basically. It was a Dwayne thing. hmm Mary confided in her friend, Laurie Jamel that she was actually afraid of Dwayne. Mary had filed several complaints against Dwayne, and one evening she had stopped by the office real quick, and she walks in, and her desk is like... In disarray. Like pictures are Ooh. turned over, like it's just like messed up. And then there was a note on her calendar that said Death to her. Ew. No. In Duane's handwriting. <laughs> Bro. Did he put it on the date that she died? No. Okay. It was just like written over like on the side of her calendar. Naturally, Mary filed another complaint with HR. Mary was frightened. She went home. She asked her husband Mike. To give her a gun. That's Texas. It is. It is Texas. Mike agreed. And he also gave Mary some lessons on how to use the gun. Mary kept the gun in her car for protection. Now, the timeline on this is a little bit fuzzy, but it was like a few days before her death or not too long before her death. Dwayne actually got fired from the clinic. And that's a stressor, as they say in Criminal Minds. (laughs) (laughs) Dwayne had become quite obstinate, and he was yelling for Mary, like, come out and face me. But Mary was asked by HR to stay home that day as to de-escalate whatever situation was going to happen.
1: Yeah, because if he attempted to take her life at a hospital,
0: you know. Well, they might be able to save her. Yeah. So, and there is some conflicting timelines. Some reports say three days after... The first Mary Lou passed away, and some say four. We're going to go with four for this. So on Sunday, October 16th, Mary's friend Lori had met her at one of the clinics to get either an allergy shot or a flu shot. I don't know. She got a shot. All right. Mary told Lori that she was going to finish up at the clinic, and then she was going to run a few errands, and then she was headed home to make dinner. You know, just that typical chit-chat between friends. A few hours later, Mary called Lori and she was kind of freaked out. She told Lori that she had encountered this really creepy guy at the drugstore and she was really distraught. But she said, you know, I'm just going to run back to the clinic for a minute and then I'm going to head straight home. Just 12 minutes later, after her call to Lori, Mary made a frantic call to nine one one. No, Oh. Detective Wayne Coleman of the Harris County Sheriff's Department indicated that the contents of this nine one one call will never be disclosed. Whoa! Thank God, because I fucking I can't do nine one one calls. I don't want to hear it. They're bad. Yeah. Ugh. Oh. He did indicate that recording does include the attack that <gasps> happened to Mary. I don't want it. Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. No, And Detective Coleman said, quote, anybody that has listened to the tape has just had their blood chilled. It is very chilling and disturbing, end quote. (sighs) Police were able to locate Mary's Dodge Intrepid in an isolated area outside of town. Depending on which article you read, some will say it was in close proximity to where Mary Lou had been found. But most of the other sources more reputable sources say that the area was about 25 miles from where Mary Lou had been found. So it is a substantial distance. Mary's body was found inside her car. She had been viciously beaten and then shot in the head. It did appear that the killer had tried to stage the scene to make Mary's death look almost like a suicide However, the police observed scratches on her body. Some of her clothing was ripped in the apparent struggle with her killer. The gun that Mike had given to Mary was later identified as the murder weapon. No! Oh, God. I hate it.
1: I know. So, like, I mean, he would have found a different way to he murder would her. It just him, might have been, it would have been slower maybe even, but.
0: It's just insult to injury. Yeah. That it's like your own gun. In Texas. Yeah, he probably, the guy probably had a gun. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it's Texas. Mary's wedding ring was also missing.
1: Oh. Hmm.
0: Though, detectives would later learn that her daughter was in possession of her wedding ring. And oh. Mike would explain that Mary had lost the ring in the house earlier. It didn't say, like, earlier that day or earlier the week, but that their daughter had found it. So, I'm not sure how old their daughter was exactly at this time, but my little key thief... (laughs) Would never give your ring back. (laughs) ...has also been known to hide my wedding ring. Uh. (laughs) I take it off at night before I go to sleep, and more than once, it has disappeared from its proper place... (laughs) Only to be found in her little mitts. She has very sticky fingers. She does. Sticky, sticky. I'm going to have to keep an extra close eye on her. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that her alter ego is the crab from Moana, if you've seen that. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) He liked shiny stuff. She could just be a crow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, I've I've read so many interesting articles about crows, too, but in our house... I've taught my daughter, never be mean to a crow. If you see oh. a crow, oh you, yeah, you just say, hi, crow.
1: Because they will remember you and they'll tell all their friends about you. Mm-hmm.
0: So they can remember, I think it's 25 or 30 faces. Yeah. And they're smart. They communicate, yes, be nice to crows. Yes. Did I tell you the time
1: that I saw a crow using the crosswalk?
0: Oh, huh. really? No.
1: Like it actually waited for the light and then it was like walking across the stripes. Yeah, it was so cute. <laughs>
0: Oh, my God, that's Uh, amazing. They're so smart. He's He's like, like, I know how to do this. Yeah. (laughs) I know. Why don't you just fly is the good question, though.
1: Maybe he had a big lunch. Yeah. He's like, I'm just going to be like people. It's like, hey, look, Gary, I'm a human.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Okay. So unlike Mary Lou's case, the police believe that they had two viable suspects. Number one was Dwayne. There is almost no information about the investigation that went into Duane, but it was stated in one article that police had some type of evidence linking him to the crime so that he remains a suspect, though he's never been charged in this case. The other option was Mary's husband, Mike, and the focus seemed to be on Mike. The husband did it. Yeah. Police had learned that the couple were having some marital issues after an alleged affair between Mary and one of their family friends. Mike told in an Unsolved Mysteries interview that he had confronted both Mary and this friend and they both said that there was nothing going on. And Mike said that he believed them. As for another motive, the police found out that Mary had a $700,000 life insurance policy in which Mike was the sole beneficiary. Oh. Um, But here's the thing, though. So if you're married... You have to have one. Well, your spouse is generally going to be your beneficiary. It's not like you're going to be like, I'm going to get this huge life insurance policy. I'm going to give it to Joe up the block.
1: Right. You don't have to have one, but
0: like they had... a how recently least, though two. was it taken? Not recently. Oh, so it had... Okay, all right. It seemed like a large amount to the police. I guess at seven hundred thousand does seem large.
1: But I mean, she's a healthcare worker. I mean, the like, mm-hmm. yeah. I feel like that's if she's bringing home a decent amount of money each month, it seems reasonable that they would want that kind of security.
0: Second question: How much are each each of us worth on a for a life insurance policy? Oh. I'm not worth very much. <laughs> Technically, none of us are, because me and Sarah are just grad students. We don't make any money.
1: That doesn't matter though. Like you could still, you just you pay more into it. You can, mm-hmm. yeah. It's like if you want if you wanted to put a million down for your life. It's kind of like gambling. It feels like.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you're gonna lose no matter what.
1: But someone else could win.
0: I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and my (laughs) point was that also they may have taken out a larger policy because they have this minor daughter. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, their thought train might have been, you know, if something happens to me, you know, I want to be able to, you know, pay off the house or, you know, send their daughter to college or, you know, something along those lines. Yeah, have
1: them be okay in some format. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Police indicated that Mike's stonewalled their investigation and absolutely refused to cooperate with them. Oh, Mike told the investigators that during the time of the incident that he had been at the movies with their daughter, Mike, however, would not allow the police to talk with her to confirm his alibi. So I am on the fence about this part. Police said that Mike would not be interviewed without an attorney present, which raise their suspicion. That's
1: reasonable. But I think that's that's You should not talk to the police without an attorney
0: present. Detective Wayne Coleman said, quote, he wouldn't meet with us without an attorney. Witnesses don't need attorneys. Suspects generally have attorneys, end quote. What was he a witness to? He wasn't there. He's not a witness. Unless he was there. And then he's a suspect. Then he's the Slash sister. witness because he saw it happen.
1: They can always phrase it. They're like, oh, yeah, we just wanted to ask you a few questions to clear some things up. And then they'll get you fucking trapped in it.
0: So hold that thought. I'm going to respectfully disagree with Detective Coleman. There are so many cases about coerced confessions and mm-hmm. violations. Absolutely of the Fifth Amendment rights. And if you're not knowledgeable about the law, I believe that it is important for you to have an attorney present to make sure that your rights are being respected. Yep. So I have a little side tangent for you guys on Miranda rights. Everyone's heard this. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of law. You have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be appointed for you. Yes. Miranda rights were created in 1966 based on the result of the U.S. Supreme Court ruling in Miranda versus Arizona. So the Miranda warning is intended to protect the, they say suspects, but the person's Fifth Amendment rights of self-incrimination. Hence, the right to remain silent or if you're in court, I plead the Fifth. Yeah. It should be noted that Miranda rights do not go into effect until after you are arrested. Officers are allowed to question suspects, but sometimes suspects will be advised of these rights in the interrogation if it is leading in the direction of an arrest. You are also allowed to waive your Miranda rights if you feel so inclined. Don't do it. (laughs) Don't do that. Don't do it. Officers are also required during an interrogation to tell you that questioning is voluntary and that you are free to leave at any time. Yeah, they can't hold you. Not a lot of people know this, and they don't always say it. I thought they could hold you for a certain amount of time before an arrest is made. There's different situations where they can, but like they may have like 24 hours to hold you or or something like that. It's not a really long extended period of time. No, it's not like months. But again, if you have your attorney with you, your attorney will know these rights. Mm -hmm. If a Miranda warning is not issued, any information or statements that are provided may not be admissible in court. However, spontaneous or voluntary, i.e. the waived Miranda rights, are admissible. Okay. As long as they've been told. Right. Right. Prosecutors can also attempt to use your silence against you. And I found this pretty interesting, but it is recommended for you to inform the officer that you will not answer any questions without your attorney present versus sitting there silent.
1: Yep. Oh. So, like, just sitting there and not talking to them Mm -hmm. is not enough. You actually have to say, like, I'm not going to talk to you until my lawyer is present.
0: It's recommended. And then when you say
1: the L word, they're like, all right, cool. We can't talk to this person anymore. Right. We have to bring in this person who's going to be the go-between for them. Yeah.
0: Who's probably going to not let us talk to them.
1: Yeah. Who's like, shut up. Don't say anything. We're going home.
0: (laughs) So hopefully none of us or our listeners will find themselves in need of this particular information. But that was a hot tip. But there you go. (laughs) During an interview with Unsolved Mysteries, Mike said that he heeded the advice of some of his friends who told him, bring an attorney with you. Not because he had anything to hide, but because it would be helpful for him to have somebody present who was familiar with police procedures. Fair enough. That's fair, for sure. Yeah. And he's the husband, so obviously he's going to be looked at first and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I will say if he was involved with this, it's really gross that he used his daughter as an alibi.
1: I mean, wouldn't there have also been like a ticket stub and like, I don't know, someone who sold him the ticket and stuff that might be able to verify for the movies?
0: Throw it away, pay in cash.
1: Right, but if he doesn't know like what time the matinee or whatever, like, you know what I mean?
0: I mean, yeah, there's questions to ask, yeah. But also he's protecting his daughter and I get that, right? I don't want police being like, your daddy lied to you. Right? Ugh, yeah. yes. Yeah, if he's not involved, it's fine. I'm just saying if he actually somehow was, it's gross. Yeah, I agree. Now, detectives became doubly suspicious when Mike refused to take a polygraph test. Never take a polygraph test. <laughs> we all should know by now that polygraphs are not 100% accurate. They are only a means to assess heart rate, blood pressure, respiration, and skin conductivity. And they're not yeah. admissible in court anymore. Anyway, no, they really can't. Agree. They can't help you. They can only hurt
1: you. Yeah, right.
0: Don't do it. This tool, unless is, you're a sociopath that has no feelings.
1: But even then, like, there's things that can go wrong, or like mm-hmm. the re- the person reading it. Even
0: oh mm-hmm. um, yeah,
1: it's not it's not a direct science. So like the person reading it in one state might have a completely different set of like, for sure, Mm -hmm. standards that another person might not carry. Yeah, how else to
0: say that? (laughs) So the polygraph is a tool that can aid police in determining when a person could be lying, but it does not conclusively prove that they are lying. I did find an interesting assessment that was done in 1982, where it found that polygraphs were accurate 83 to 84% for guilty suspects, but only 76 to 81% for innocent suspects. Oh, so it's worse when you're innocent? Uh Uh-huh.
1: Because you're probably nervous and upset and everything anyway.
0: Yeah. Right? So Mike explained during his Unsolved Mysteries interview that he declined to be polygraphed because he was taking anti-anxiety and antidepressant medication.
1: Good reasoning.
0: Which he felt that could impact the test. Yeah. I feel like it would make it easier to pass, but...
1: But it's altering your heart rate, so the baseline even would be different too.
0: Drugs such as lithium, Prozac, Valium, Xanax, and a certain set of beta blockers can also impact results. So keep that in mind. I'm going to use that as an excuse because I'm on a lot of those. Well, hopefully you won't find yourself in need to avoid a polygraph, but... No, I'm too depressed to commit a crime, to be honest. It's too much work. (laughs) So police, though, they insisted that this was Mike's way of stalling their investigation. I don't, but like... I'm on the fence about this. He has reasonable explanations, right? And I think that if you're, I mean, this wasn't like they were like, oh, you stole a candy bar from the corner store. This is, you murdered your wife, right? You want to have a lawyer. You don't want to give them anything, especially if you're innocent, right? Yeah. Yes. If I ever murder my imaginary husband, who probably will never exist, I would do the same thing that Mike does. Attorney, no polygraph. Police were not convinced, so they dug deeper. I guess I meant to say if I'm innocent of killing my imaginary, probably not existent husband, I was to get a polygraph and a lawyer. I would skip the polygraph and get a lawyer. Yes. Whether I killed him or not, I'm doing those two things. Investigators then pulled phone records and found that two hours after Mary's call to 911, Mike had called Mary's phone. According to the records, the call lasted for four minutes. What? Mike what? told investigators that he had been calling Mary to find out where she was, right? She's hadn't been answering her phone. Oh, and yeah. that the four-minute call, it never happened. He said that... He had called her one time and the phone rang and rang and rang and rang, but it didn't go to her voicemail. It never connected. (laughs) It never rings for four minutes, though. True. But Mike said that there must have been some sort of error with the phone company's records, which it can happen. Okay. Detectives were not convinced, but they did not have anything other than their own suspicions to go on. Mike was never charged. And he and his daughter eventually moved out of state. Well, who the fuck was he talking to two hours after the 911 call? I... That was one of the theories is that he was getting confirmation mm. from someone. Oh. And we'll get to that here in just a little bit. But it doesn't take four minutes. No. <laughs> So I may be in the minority, but I do feel like Mike cooperated with him. It just wasn't in the way that police wanted him to be cooperating.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, they want him to make their job easy and say, yeah, I did it. Right. Or to implicate himself and not, yeah, not ask for a lawyer or any of those things that you're supposed to do.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And as I mentioned, both of these cases remain unsolved. And it is not likely that we will see any sort of conclusion or closure for these families, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Super weird, though. Two Mary mm-hmm. Morrises in a four-day span? In Houston. In Houston. hmm Huh. So in Mary McGinnis's case, right, there were two viable suspects, her husband and her former co-worker. However... How could you discount the death of Mary Lou? hmm hmm What are the odds that two middle-aged women with brown hair that are named Mary Morris would be murdered in their cars in the greater Houston area? That's bonkers. Yeah. Within a few days of each other. Yeah, the timing is so close. This is how uh, the Houston PD would be calling the Criminal Minds team right now. I know, right? <laughs> All I've done the last two weeks is watch Criminal Minds. Sorry. Hey, I'm there with you. I may restart it. I love it. Yeah. So this theory is why I picked this case, and it's what sparked my attention for this case. So now I'm going to say something super inappropriate, but here we go. na 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 Hitman.
1: Oh, oh, not Batman. Hitman. Woo
0: hitman though
1: even my stomach went Ooh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's our birthday episode so i was trying to be cheeky uh hopefully <laughs> i that like it it doesn't super cute. come across in a really bad way and i did and learn that there's 16 nana nanas in that well sarah did make a <laughs> batman joke oh yeah yeah sometime you did. i don't know what episode mm-hmm. anymore but like sometime oh, last yeah. year hmm yeah if anyone can tell us which episode that was, I will send you a sticker. and Stickers! a Venmo for $5 for some beer. Th- there you go. What if I tell you which episode it is? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> Hannah,
1: Hannah's got homework stickers.
0: I don't need stickers. I have a lot. She just wants the beer. I'll keep the sticker. Since you have stickers, I'll send you 10 bucks for beer. Oh, fuck. I'm going to get on this. Okay. Do it. <laughs> Jeez. According to the Houston Chronicle... A call came into the paper on October 13th, 2000. So Mary Lou was murdered on October 12th. And Mary McGinnis was murdered on October 16th. So on the 13th, the day after Mary Lou was killed, the caller simply said, quote, they got the wrong Mary Morris. (sighs) Oh, shit. Oh, Mary Lou. the call... Could not be traced. What? It's also a newspaper. Like, I mean, I don't think they're set up to trace calls. Oh. Not yes. necessarily. But a lot of criminals, like Sarah told mm-hmm. us about with the Happy Face Killer, they want to correspond. Oh, yeah. For, with the, yeah. the, with um, the press. press. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <gasps> oh, Mary Lou. Detectives have concluded... That these are two separate cases, and they are not by any means connected. Because that's easier for them. While there are coincidences, there is no evidence to support any connection. And according to the FBI crime data, there were approximately 230 murders in this area in 2000. So they're just chalking it up to two separate murders. I mean, I feel like that's
1: a really tight coincidence. A lot of Mm -hmm. those
0: murders were probably under very different conditions, right? And um, there were only two murders of Mary Morris in the Houston Mm -hmm. area, within four days. Within four days, that's like God. If it was a hitman, he's like, oh fuck, oh man, yeah. And then there's also the thing that, so one part of this theory is that it had to be a hitman because both of the wedding rings were missing and Mm. that the second, you know, Mary McGinnis's family had the ring because it was proof of death. Oh, they gave it back. Yeah. Uh... But again, they can't prove any of this. There's nothing there to prove, but it's interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Friends and family of both of the victims disagree with police. They believe there are just too many coincidences for this to be a coincidence. If you would like to hear another hitman type of case, please be sure to check out episode nine, Dana Yule. He did hire his friends to murder his whole family. Not a real hitman. Just a random college student. He could have chosen better. Just
1: a stupid piece of shit. Yeah. Just a
0: random college student that ate a lot of Taco Bell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. Okay.
1: Taco Bell, oh, Red cards. Time out, time out. Okay.
0: The Mexican pizza is coming back to Taco Bell, guys. No! Yes! When? Tomorrow? I think it's at May. Oh, my God. For my birthday. <gasps> That's my favorite. I love the Mexican pizza. Oh, Ugh. That, like, growing up? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was my jam. Me, too. So, at Taco Bell Corner... There's some exciting news, listeners. I'm fucking stoked about that. I am too. I'm going to get one immediately. I have given you a hit gone wrong, but because it's our birthday, I wanted to end on a more positive note. A hit gone right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I am going to tell you a condensed version of a hit gone right question mark. Okay. (laughs) Huh? So, this is the story of Noella Recundo. Noella emigrated as a refugee from Burundi to Australia in 2004. She was the mother of five children at the time. She met a man named Valinga Kalala, who worked as a forklift driver And he was also a refugee that had emigrated from the Republic of Congo in 2004. In his case, though, he was fleeing from a rebel army that had killed his wife and child. Mm -hmm. The pair met at a resettlement agency when their social worker had asked Kalala to interpret for Noella because she spoke Swahili and he spoke English. The pair would soon begin a relationship, move in together just outside of Melbourne, and they got married and they had three children. An eight-child household? I know. Wow. That's a lot of kids. That's a lot. It's seven more than I have, and yeah. It's a lot. That's rough. It's a lot. So they were married for a while. Kolala suspected that Noella was cheating on him. He was angered just at the sheer possibility of this though it wasn't true which is similar to sig from episode 15 to count hauler mm-hmm. but kalala went a different route he paid seven thousand dollars to a group of men to murder noella while no. she was in burundi attending her stepmother's funeral jesus oh christ God. not enough grief for the family. In January of 2015, Noella returned to Burundi for her stepmother's funeral. She would be spending several weeks with her family and friends. And then on February 17th of 2015, after her stepmother's funeral service, Noella returned to her hotel room. So she's exhausted emotionally and physically. Oh, yeah. She calls her husband and he says, you know, you should just take a walk, get some air. Uh. (laughs) all right thanks husband it was a little after 8 p.m but noella decided to take his advice and just go for a little walk the fresh air might do her some good going going to bed would work better taking a nap Mm -hmm. that'd work yeah having a drink mm -hmm. that's my my response to all bad things is just to go to bed (laughs) napping is good
1: hit restart for the day and Mm -hmm. wake up the next day and try again
0: Yeah, yeah right Noella walked out of her hotel room and out into the cool air of the night when a man approached her and he was holding a gun. No. The man said, quote, don't scream. If you start screaming, I will shoot you. They're going to catch me, but you, you will already be dead, end quote. The man ushered her to a waiting car where there were two other men inside. One of the other men was also holding a gun. They blindfolded Noella with a scarf, and then they traveled for about 30 minutes to this rural warehouse. Noella was brought inside, and she was tied to a chair. One of the men told Noella that her husband, Kalala, had arranged her death, but she did not believe him. Believe him, honey. To prove it to her, he called Kalala and put the phone on speaker so Noella could hear his voice. Honestly, this seems unnecessary. You don't have to crush my heart and then kill me. I think they're, like,
1: trying to get on her side. Hmm. Keep that in mind. Earn her trust or something. I don't know.
0: The man confirmed to Kalala that they had taken Noella. And, in fact, they had, right? They had kidnapped her. And Kalala replied... Quote, kill her, end quote. Fucking hell, sir. They have three children together. Did he know he was on speakerphone? No, No. he didn't. But they have three children together. Yeah. Noella fainted at the sound of Kalala's voice. Like, she just straight passed out. The men continued speaking to Kalala, and they told him that if he actually wanted this job done... That he would need to pay an additional thirty four hundred dollars. So now we're over ten grand. I know, because like seven grand for a group is not that much. Mm-hmm. When Noella came to, she was still in shock, clearly. She's like, how am I still alive? Oh. Right? She's thinking, how could her husband do this? She was the mother of his three children. God. So Noella waited for her inevitable death. But this would not be her fate. One of the men explained to Noella that he knew her brother, right? She's in her homeland of Burundi. And so he knows her brother. He knows her family. Mm -hmm. And that they were not the type of men that kill women or children. Wow. They would scare the shit out of them. So they would be setting Noella free, but they would not do so until all of the money had been paid. So they're extorting Kalala for the money. Ah. Mm -hmm. On February 19th of 2005, after all of the funds had been paid, Noella was set free on the side of the road. The men had given her an envelope. Inside the envelope were recordings of their conversations with (gasps) Kalala, detailing the plans of her murder. Wow. And... Two receipts from Western Union showing that Kalala had paid the fee. And the additional fee. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Jeez. They told Noella that she had 80 hours to leave Burundi. And they said, quote, Your husband is serious. Maybe we can spare your life, but other people, they are not going to do the same thing. End quote. Uh. I mean, good guy Hitman. But not, uh, yeah. not really, because they've got morals. No women and children. Kill men. Well, they're extorting money, right? They're yeah. they're making a living, if you will.
1: Yeah, as I guess, terrible as that I sounds. Guess so.
0: Wow. Back home in Melbourne, Kalala, thinking right that his wife has been murdered, told his friends and family that Noella had been killed in this very tragic car accident. So he begins to make her funeral arrangements. Meanwhile, Noella, who's still in Burundi, she had to contact the Kenyan and the Belgian embassies to help her get back to Australia. Because, I mean, this is just fucked. The whole thing is fucked. And then Noella reached out to the pastor of her local church. She tells him the story and she asks for his help and he agrees. On February 22nd of 2015, Noella arrived at the home she shared with her husband, Kalala. She sat in the car and she watched as Kalala was saying goodbye to guests who had been in their home to give condolences to the grieving family. Jesus. Her kids. Oh, my God. Her kids are so confused. Noella gets out of the car and she approaches Kalala. He cried, quote, is it my eyes? Is it a ghost? End quote. <laughs> right, definitely a ghost. Kalala reached out to touch Noella, and she said, "Quote, surprise, I'm still alive." End quote. Bitch. Yeah, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I would have said something completely different, and he probably would have would have got kicked in the nutsack. But yeah, yeah, also fitting. Right. Deserved. Noella promptly called the police. She obtained a court order against Kalala and then provided the police with the evidence that the men had so kindly given to her. Kalala's excuse for wanting his wife dead was, quote, sometimes the devil can come into someone to do something, end quote. What? Don't blame the devil for this. Right?
1: But not even, like, the devil made me. Like, somewhat, sometimes the devil can do this. It's like, not, okay. Not
0: this time, but sometimes. Sometimes. Jesus. In December of 2015, Kalala pleaded guilty to incitement to murder, which is essentially just provoking someone else to commit the crime on your behalf. Yeah. Because Noella survived, right, she wasn't actually murdered, He was only sentenced to nine years in prison. Oh. And it was said that he would be eligible for parole after six years. So it is possible that he has been or could be released in the near future. I did do a search on it. I couldn't find any information that says he already has, but it is what it is. Noella, being a much, much better person than I, (laughs) told the press, quote, He's a human being. From my heart, I forgive him, girl. Wow. Let God judge him. End quote. Let Satan wow. take him. Mm-hmm. Boom boom boom. boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Noella, that was nice, but I don't. I don't agree.
1: <laughs> Do not agree. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: So that is what I have for you this week. It's a hit and a miss, which is appropriate because baseball season is now upon us. I thought you were going to say our podcast is a hit and a miss. (laughs) No, we're definitely a hit, but it's baseball season, hit and a miss, right? Okay, fair. Yeah. So I did not do any astrology for this episode, but I have astrological tidbits for the upcoming week. I have to tell you, I'm super excited. It's our birthday week, and this week is going to rock. Oh, fuck yeah. The whole damn week is going to be amazing. Nice. Okay, so you ready for this? Yeah. Monday, May 2nd, when this episode airs, Venus enters Aries. So this is the planet of love and Pearl. (laughs) And fire. (laughs) Right? Passion. Love tends to burn a bit hotter when fiery Aries is at the wheel. So the next few weeks are going to be very enthusiastic and very passionate. And on our birthday, Tuesday, May 3rd, Jupiter and Pisces will be sextile with Pluto and Capricorn. This is a very powerful aspect it brings to us a heavy dose of positive change, which will bring major success. So goals that we have been pursuing will start coming to fruition. i have applying oh. to jobs this week, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe by the Yay. third or whatever, mm-hmm. things might be known. And then on Wednesday, May 4th, Mars in Pisces will be sextile with Uranus in Taurus, and we will have a strong desire to have some leisurely fun. I was going to say nap. <laughs> leisurely nap. fun. So a nap. May the 4th be with you, friends. <laughs> it's going to be a fun day. Oh. And then on Cinco de Mayo. Kila. And I wonder if the Mexican pizza is coming back on the 5th on Cinco de Mayo. That would be amazing. Oh, wow. On Cinco de Mayo, Thursday, May 5th, the sun in Taurus will be conjunct with Uranus in Taurus. And this aspect only happens once a year. And this day brings us positive changes and gives us a much needed break. This sounds like a great week. I know, right? (laughs) And we're not quite done yet. So additionally, on May 5th, Mercury in Gemini will be sextile with Venus in Aries, and this aspect allows us to step out of our comfort zone and kind of make the first move. So be brave and be bold. And then on Saturday, I told you it was a long it's one, a but it's great. Like, it's a big week in astrological news. And I love that it's our birthday week. I know. So. This is nice. Jam-packed with fun. No squares. Saturday, May 7th, the sun in Taurus will be sextile with Mars and Pisces. And this is a day to explore and be adventurous. So do not... Oh, take your weekend. Right? Do not waste any time running errands or acting like an adult. Just have fucking fun. Love it. Right? Take your weekend. Mm -hmm. Go, Go do something. Go see something. Oh, that's the
1: weekend Kirk's gone.
0: You can still have fun. We can hang out.
1: Yeah, we should go hiking or Oh, no, maybe not hiking. We're like, adventuresome, but... Mm-hmm.
0: You guys could play the board game I sent to you. Ooh. Yeah, that's a good idea. Lots of booze. It'll be great. <laughs> <guess>. <laughs> we can do that. Yeah. And get Taco Bell. Or maybe not for Sarah. Get, Sarah no. can grab some My sushi. My stomach was just like, no. My stomach has been answering. <laughs> it's I'm going to see if I can no. keep that cut in. Oh, God. Astrologically speaking, it is going to be an amazing week. Ooh. If you would like to send TCT a gift for our first birthday, <laughs> please do so by connecting with us. We want to hear from you. And it's super easy. So you can reach out to us on Twitter at True Trine, on Instagram at True Crime Trine, Facebook, TCT Podcast. You can email us directly, just like the librarian did, at truecrimetrine at gmail.com. And then check out our website, www.truecrimetrine.com. I do have a quote, too, because I just, you know, okay. yeah. want to talk for the whole time. <laughs> Take it away. In honor of our birthday, my quote this week is from John Lennon, and it is, Count your age by your friends, not your years. And Aww. count your life by your smiles and not your tears. Oh, a super sweet. Right? And not snarky which is cool. Yeah, that's nice for us. I know. (laughs) We're being super nice this week, because it's our birthday. We're just being gentle. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Woo! Okay, bye. 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 Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email trine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.